Welcome to Beyond the Bell. On today's episode, I chat with Brent Krause, who is an assistant director of elementary and middle school literacy. In this role, Brent coaches ELA teachers of third through eighth graders, serving 23 schools across Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey. So I'm excited today to welcome Brent Krause to the show, and he works with many um, English language arts teachers in the third grade to eighth grade range. So the primary levels and middle school levels. So welcome to the show, Brent. I'm excited to talk to you about what you've learned this year. Thank you for having me. So because you've worked with so many teachers, first, if you could kind of explain to the listeners like what your role is in your district and then also what kinds of things keep coming up for teachers this year um, in that, you know, who are working with students in that age range. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, To start, uh, I was in the classroom for nine years, uh, starting in 2010 taught mostly upper elementary, um, ELA, a little bit of social studies. Um, and then I transitioned over to, um, our, uh, network academic team. And specifically I work for the humanities team and my subset of the humanities team focuses on, um, on teacher development and, uh, English language arts for third through eighth grade. Um, and my time is divided, between real-time teacher coaching, um, managing curriculum and materials, and also designing and facilitating professional development for our teachers across the network. And when you've been coaching these teachers and, and working with them, what would you say during the pandemic, what have, what have been their biggest challenges this year? Well, you know, the experiences really vary um, from teacher to teacher uh, across our network. Um, uh, To begin, you know, we had to actually stop uh, coaching at the onset of the pandemic when we first shut down just because there was so much um, change happening, you know, day to day. Um, And slowly we were able to get back into coaching um, and we did more of a group coaching model online. But um, I've worked with a range of teachers from third through eighth grade, uh, from first year teachers who are just stepping into the classroom in the midst of all of this, all the way to veteran teachers. Um, I'd say to begin, you know, all across the board, um, you know, from those first year teachers to the most seasoned vets, everybody has had to kind of start from ground zero, right? some teachers have struggled um, with, you know, classroom engagement. Uh, you know, some of them, like myself, I'm I'm an old man, and technology is not, uh, you know, uh, easily uh, navigatable for for me. Um, and so, a lot have had to adjust to how to use online platforms um, in ways that are most effective for. Um, the content that they deliver to their students. Um, other teachers have really thrived in the virtual setting. And, you know, to some extent, uh, some folks who may have struggled with things like classroom management found it easier um, when they were online to manage things um, and or, you know, just struggled with engagement in general. Um, but really the experience of teachers, is it's, it's varied widely. Um, 
would you, in your district, what is the main technology platform that teachers are using to teach when they're teaching remotely or the kids who are remote? So teachers use a variety of online platforms to deliver their lessons, but the primary um, the primary resource that we utilize for curriculum and for them to access content and utilize it with their kids is Schoology. Mm-hmm. Um, however, teachers do a lot of supplementing, you know, well, Schoology and Zoom. Um, so they hold their classes on Zoom and mm-hmm. may run their classes through Schoology at the same time. But a lot of other teachers will use Google Docs, Nearpods, Pear Decks. It's just really, you know, depends on their comfort level and, um, you know, what they find to be most useful for their teaching style. And is Schoology something that was in place before the pandemic or that was what the district adopted because of the pandemic? Nothing technology-wise. <laughs> so we adopted Schoology right, you know, pretty much right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it took about a month or so, you know, for us to get everything up and running. Um, and then Schoology became the primary resource for our teachers. So how has your role as a coach had to change because of that element, the tech technology element that now teachers are using Zoom and Schoology as main resources. And like you mentioned engagement, which I've been doing this podcast since October and engagement comes up in every single conversation, right? Like how do we engage students online? And so how have you seen your role as a coach when you're coaching somebody on engagement, let's say, have to shift because of the new tools that teachers are using? Um, I think, uh, well, I'll, I'll start by saying that, you know, I think it's important to talk about the coaching and the professional development that we do because mm-hmm. work together in tandem. Um, so to begin, as I, as I mentioned before, you know, uh, when we first uh, shut down, um, coaching came to a screeching halt. Um, and we did not pick coaching back up until um, about six or seven months into the pandemic, just because we weren't sure how to do it online. Um, and when we came back to coaching, we used to do one-on-one coaching and mm-hmm. we teacher coaching plans. We would go into schools, into the classrooms, um, do real-time coaching as well as coaching meetings. Um, and we switched over to a group coaching model where we would have a group of teachers, you know, say three to five teachers that we would meet with once a week, work on a skill, and then we would, um, we would, I would then hop into Zoom rooms and, and try and give real-time feedback. Um, so that being said, at the beginning of our coaching um, endeavor, And along with the professional development that we were delivering before, we were very centered on um, or very focused on engagement strategies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how can you use breakout rooms to, to, you know, build community first and then also use them to, um, you know, uh, drive students towards mastery of the objective, Um, we were very much in a, in a teacher skills, um, sort of base level skills, almost a first year teacher, you know, sort of mindset around our coaching. 
And what we realized is um, in, in short time was that uh, we could we could do engagement strategies, you know, all day long. Um, however, if, if content knowledge development was not also equally in, uh, in place, um, then engagement strategies really did not matter. And so we actually made a, a pretty big shift in our both our professional development and our coaching um, away from sort of the baseline engagement strategies towards helping teachers to develop their content knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do kids learn to read and write? Um, you know, what's going on there and those basic processes of your actions every day. And, and what we found is that the, the more confident the teachers became in the content that they were delivering to kids every day, the more effective the engagement strategies were um, there with their kids. Um, so, yeah. So could you give me an example of like a specific engagement strategy that you worked on with a group of teachers and then you followed up with them on? Yeah, absolutely. I think breakout rooms is a huge one, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of our teachers were very apprehensive about utilizing breakout rooms um, in the beginning. uh, And they found that when they did use breakout rooms, a lot of the times kids, you know, they would hop into a breakout room with a pair of kids who were supposed to be, you know, reading a text together or discussing a question and they would either be dead silent or off track. And so, um, what we what we figured out, and actually one of our assistant principals um, across the network brought this to our attention, is you know our students are do not have the same community um, and the same relationships that they would have one with one another if they were in person. Mm-hmm. This online platform, right? And so, without first building community, right, um, and building those relationships. Um, the academic breakout room process would not be um, as effective. Mm-hmm. We took from from the uh, work that she did in, in her school specifically, and um, one of the strategies that I worked on with teachers is, you know, before you try and do uh, academic breakout rooms, how about at the beginning of each lesson, you do a two-minute, you know, three-minute do-now warm-up um, community builder breakout room activity where you send kids off with a question that doesn't hold as much weight for the objective of the day, right? You know, mm-hmm. ice cream or, you know, something, you know, not too deep um, and let kids get to know one another first. Mm-hmm. And um, almost instantly with my teachers that I was working with personally, um, when we first rolled that out, uh, they, the, the classroom vibe changed completely. Mm-hmm. You saw kids coming off camera more, mm-hmm. kids engaging in the chat more. Uh, I know it's, you know, a simple and kind of, you know, seemingly insignificant question, but the ice cream question, I've sat <laughs> where the teacher did the ice cream breakout room and all of the kids wanted to tell the rest of the class when they came back together, what the, um, ice cream, their favorite, you know, their partner's favorite ice cream was. And this was, this was an eighth grade class that I was. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was going to say what age group was it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so really, you know, first you've got to build a a community online. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to the, 
greater challenge around teachers, um, the, the greater struggle the teachers have had with the shift um, during the pandemic towards online instruction of mindset around being able to implement the things that you do in your classroom, it's just a different, um, a different medium, right? Mm -hmm. You can still do all of those things that you do. You can have an effective morning meeting. You can have effective discussions. You can have effective engagement strategies. Just because you're online does not mean that it's not possible. Right. And do you think that We've had a lot of focus this year at our school about community building as well in terms and, you know, social emotional needs, right, of like building that SEL. Do you see that like next year when more or all students are in person, like that carrying over into the real classroom of like, let's say this ice cream question went over extremely well, like, well, let me do it at the beginning of the year next year too, or like taking some of the things that maybe that they like had to really use to build community, like that it trans it'll translate back to in-person as well. Have you, have you guys talked about that or do you see that being true? Um, I, I hope so. Mm-hmm think that one probably what I'm most nervous about um, when we are back in person full time, whether that's in September or, you know, who knows, I think mm-hmm. it's still kind of um, up in the air uh, is this push for accelerated learning and um, finding, you know, filling in the lost learning, mm-hmm. I, you know, take a lot of um, a lot of issue with this notion of lost learning. Right. Um but uh, I believe that if we do not um, appropriately address the social emotional needs of our students um, coming out of this and our teachers and our administrators, because just because, you know, we're adults doesn't mean that we haven't also been through the trauma of COVID, um, then we're, you know, accelerated learning is not going to matter. Right. I agree. I I feel like next year is going to be just a much of a challenge, but in a different way in, in terms of, you know, you have students who haven't been in physical school for over a year and that transition in and of itself for some kids is going to be traumatic. (laughs) And how do we as educators and schools help to make that transition better? Right. And accelerated learning ain't, ain't it, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, exactly. Um, exactly. I will say, I, I think there's another piece to this as well. And this is something that has, um, I think, been a blessing um, in all of this is um, our network in particular has done a lot of work. Um, well, I'll say I think the pandemic has brought to light in ways um, that didn't exist before the true inequities that exist in our system, you know, Mm -hmm. right? Everybody talks about the the technology gap and all of those things, but I think there's also the cultural piece as well. Um, And, you know, when teachers are getting into students' home on a regular basis and 
and um, having to, you know, battle with getting kids to turn on their cameras and, um, you know, really uh, diving in deep into the daily uh, lives outside of school. Right. Um, you know, there's been a, a greater awareness of um, the sort of cultural divide between a lot of our teachers and our students. That has been a major factor in our classrooms and in teacher success in our classrooms. And so what we have done um, alongside, um, uh, you know, the, the work around virtual teaching and, you know, uh, the technology gap and all that is also doing um, a lot of deep dive into the work of um, pioneers in educational equity like Zaretta Hammond, Gold Mid, mm-hmm. and are really making a dramatic move towards um really becoming more culturally responsive as a network in our classrooms. And mm-hmm. so I think there's this SEL piece that is important, but we also need to make the shift towards being, um, you know, culturally responsive and building learning partnerships with our students, uh, you know, becoming much more aware of how our biases play out in our interactions with our students. Um, and, and, and transforming the educational landscape for black and brown students and underserved communities across this nation. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree that that's a huge, it's interesting to like, just hear the same echoes in other parts of the country. Um, I, there was just an email this morning about that book. Um, and if you haven't picked it up yet and haven't read it yet, make sure that you do before the beginning of next school year. Culturally I, responsive teaching. Yes, culturally responsive yeah. teaching. I read it earlier in the year, but um, again, but it's just, it's always interesting to me when like the same conversations are being had in everywhere. So, um, yes. or and I would it, also like to put a plug in for Goldie Muhammad's Cultivating Genius. It has completely transformed my perspective on literacy um, in our schools. I think it's a great book. I'll have to get that one. I have not oh, read yeah. that yet. That's amazing. Uh, grading for equity is very big here too. So okay. um, that that's I need to read that book, but that concept of essentially, the, I think the big premise of it is like not putting in zeros, like not giving kids zeros and like the equity piece and that, and what that does to, to certain students. So yeah, um, that's like a, one of the other like kind of big pushes here in terms of um, pedagogical shifts and, and, yes. and that that's a very hard concept for a lot of teachers to, especially at the high school level to like wrap their mind around. So it it's, it's work we're all doing here. Yeah. Um, so if you envisioned, a better, stronger school next year. What does that look like for you? Um, a better, stronger school next year. Um, well, first and foremost, I think, you know, speaking back to, you know, what we were just discussing, I think um, really tending to the people in our classrooms um, and making sure that our, you know, the people are first, the students are first as human beings, um, that should be, you know, that would be top priority. Um, because without the, you know, the person being tended to, um, the learning does not happen. Um, I think that, um, 
you know, we need to be much more uh, cognizant about um, developing or having teachers in the classroom who are experts in their content knowledge area so that whether they're teaching online, no matter what curriculum comes their way, they can use their content knowledge to, um, to guide their instructional practices, not the tools as the primary guide. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, I think that, you know, being much more culturally responsive um, is, it has to, it has to be um, first and foremost, uh, in, in the, the forefront of everything that's happening in the classroom in order for our kids to be able to recover from the pandemic um, and to, you know, grow academically in the ways that they, they absolutely can if we give them the space to do so. And do you think it's important for all students to be back in the building next fall? Um, I think that it's important for kids to be um, together with one another, with their teachers. Yes, I do believe that that's important. I do not think that it is um, impossible students to grow online. Um, I think that um, the key there, again, is mindset and supports. Um, So I do think it's important and I would like to see that happen. And I I personally, you know, want to be back in classrooms with teachers and kids. You know, one of the reasons that I am in the position that I'm in is because I still get to work with kids on a daily basis. And without that interaction with students, uh, seeing their smiling faces and they're sometimes not smiling faces but help them smile. Um, it, it brings me great joy. And so, you know, for my own selfish reasons, I hope that, you know, we're all back together and, you know, able to be in person. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you been, you yourself been staying sane throughout this year? Um, I'm not sure I've been sane throughout <laughs> Uh, to be quite honest, um, you know, it's it's difficult ro- working remotely. Um, and uh, so there have been a lot of challenges there, but I have found a lot of great, um, I found a lot of solace in the work that we've been able to do with professional development um, and, you know, our deep dive into our curriculum and really, you know, taking a look look at it, you know, through the lens of criticality and being able to um, see where it falls short. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, and, and also doing the work to build towards a better tomorrow has been um, where I found uh, the greatest um, relief from all of this. What are your big plans for the summer? Anything? <laughs> I'm going to go, uh, get in our new vehicle and we're going to go to Shenandoah and uh, do some, some camping, get some nice, you know, we're here in Mm -hmm. the streets of Philadelphia down in South Philly and the city can, can definitely weigh on you. uh, Mm -hmm. So we're going to get out and um, go, go uh, experience some nature, but then we're going to head down to Atlanta where I'm originally from and, and see all our family for the first time. And I don't know how long it's been, but yeah, well, that'd be nice. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brent, for joining me today. And I hope you have a relaxing summer and able to recoup a little bit before we start this all over in the fall and whatever iteration it ends up being. In, so thank you.
you so much. I appreciate it. Same to you. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bell. The show was created and produced by Evelyn Lauer. Music was created by Jim Streisel and his band, The Dead Squirrels. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please contact me on Twitter at Evelyn A. Lauer, and I'd be happy to connect with you there. I'm looking for teachers from all disciplines and all grade levels to come on the show to talk about what it's been like teaching during the pandemic, especially as we end this school year. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week.